birds, one stone. Even the gender benders would probably agree that Questy Elizabeth Donovan O'Hara's final career choice was most unusual for a woman. The decision had not come lightly. Although she had left school at an early age, she had been eager and enthusiastic to begin the upward treadmill to success. But each new job successively had the earmarks of doom long before her first paycheck arrived, and Questy's drab life rapidly deteriorated downwards towards the treadmill of continual unemployment, a position she endured for seven years. Her single-party-going mother had abandoned her at birth, leaving her to receive a strict Catholic upbringing from her Irish grandparents. However, it must be said that although Mr. and Mrs. O'Hara had very strong views on politics and religion, they had mixed and liberal views regarding honesty, ethics and morality. Be a darling gal and run down to the pub for your grandma. There's a biscuit in it, if you can persuade the barman to give you a bottle on the slate. Now put the little silver coins in the plate on Sunday, Questy, my darling, but be sure and take the gold ones out. Convent life, too, was found to be confusing to the young girl. She had incurred the wrath of Mother Superior in second grade by a scriptural misunderstanding between the two Marys. Her childish incantation, Mary Magdalene, Mother of God, when genuflecting, had not gone unnoticed. When leaving school, she had harboured ideas of entering the genteel world of hairdressing. The grandparents were favourable until they learnt this necessitated an outlay of bond money for apprenticeship. Now where's the value of paying to do a job? Tain't sensible. Tis more than should be expected of a person. Upper pig's bum me, darling gal. You think I can ship gold? As the years unfolded, her lack of skills became a burden, especially when she outlined her rather lofty expectations for remuneration to employment counsellors. Their responses, although varied, reflected similar philosophies. Oh yeah, you, the world and its cat, sweetheart. I'll give the Sheila an F for fantasy. Now, although it may have appeared otherwise, Questy was no fool. She realised that with so little to offer, she would always be at the whim of the fluctuating job market. Her only option, therefore, appeared to be self-employment. Grandpa O'Hara encouraged this resolve. I think any job that doesn't have a boss is a good idea, me darling gal, so long as it doesn't get in the way of picking up your dole check. Cheered by his sound judgment and having finally decided on the how to make money, it was the what that now gave her trouble. Using the telephone book as her source of inspiration, she started with Amway and got through to Tupperware before deciding that the rest of the alphabet was too limiting. Then one day, watching a rerun of Dial M for Murder, she finally came up with her revolutionary idea. True, Questy had few ideas, so any one would be revolutionary, but this was indeed a good one. She would become a hit person, a hired assassin. As she saw it, 
the killing field was the only profession that could adequately supply all her requirements, money, prestige, plenty of recreational time, and on-the-job training. At the same time, she argued to herself, it would probably eliminate a lot of rats from the world. Very much aware of the promotional phrase, it pays to advertise, she put a small advertisement in the window of the local corner store. Not being literary, she had kept the notice brief. We'll do anything, no job too small. Unfortunately, this catchphrase was placed between erotic dancers and therapeutic massage and resulted in a number of gentlemen with certain physical inadequacies making some intriguing offers. So a little daunted but still determined, Questy then made some prudent inquiries down at the local pub, pawnbrokers, racetrack and other places of chance. Bingo! It turned out that living in a particularly nasty neighbourhood of a pretty nasty world had localised an amazing amount of nasty people. And it was surprising how many of them were only too keen to do their family members a favour and rid them of the melancholia of living in such unhappy times, so long as someone else was responsible for their demise. This was indeed promising news for a rookie to the hit person business. Questy soon had three clients on her books, each of whom promptly paid the customary 20% deposit of the standard fee, which was still to be negotiated. Her first client worked down at the local market. He was a small, weedy man called George, who was in the business of selling genuine imitation designer label t-shirts. With an eye on expansion, George was very keen to bump off the middleman of his trade and go into the production as well as retail side of the business. He was surprised to find a woman in what he had always considered a macho business, but being a modern bloke did not let that stand in the way of their negotiations. Make it look like an accident, mind, because I don't want no rough stuff, no trouble, no worries, was his only comment. Questy solemnly nodded or shook her head appropriately, thereby gaining his confidence. She bought a small notebook and carefully wrote down the date and the details. She was on her way. The second client, a Mrs. Clyde Forbes Jones, wished to dispose of her husband, one of Randwick's most highly successful bookies. However, although keen to lose him, she wanted to retain his money a point she emphasised to the rookie hit woman. It had better be soon, she had whispered. The silly runt is squandering everything we've got on going straight. Well, this was true. Mr Jones was rapidly bridging the gap between punters and politicians as an aid to further his new-found political aspirations. Considering honesty to be the best policy, Questy admitted her novitiate status in the business of life disposal to Mrs. Clyde Forbes-Jones. To her joy, she found that this much-married lady was herself very knowledgeable and prepared to share her experiences freely. 
My dear, we must be careful to avoid death being attributed to acts of God. Suicide, etc. had been her judicious advice. There's a lot of dangerous small print on those areas when it comes to insurance, wills or claims. The third client was a mild-mannered man whom Questy had reason to suppose was a heavily disguised man of the cloth. My poor 83-year-old mother is afflicted with a terminal illness, he had said, shaking his head piously, omitting to add that this terminal illness was simply old age in an otherwise healthy octogenarian. It would be such a mercy if she could be painlessly eliminated from this cruel world. He had also omitted that Mummy Dearest was remarkably well healed in the money department and had kept those heels very much to herself. So now, armed with clients' contract advice and three lots of 20% deposits, Questy enthusiastically applied herself to the task in hand. True, her victims were not exactly the rats she had first thought she would be eliminating, but nevertheless intended to apply herself dexterously to her new trade. Unfortunately, by a combination of bad luck and mismanagement, all three contract targets were still walking the earth even though their deposit money had been long spent. It would seem that professional killers need to have some skills, and once again Questy found these to be lacking. So after a few hackneyed and bungled attempts, she reluctantly decided to take stock and consider where she was going wrong. With brutish honesty, she drew up a list of her drawbacks. For it must be said that in addition to overcoming the bias of gender, she had a number of other distinct disadvantages. Hearing not good. Coordination skills, not good. Eyesight, deplorable. Bifocals are not conducive to shooting moving targets. Extreme nausea at any sight of blood. So close contact with her intended victim was entirely out of the question. Excessive weight. The latter, it must be said, was Questy's main drawback. She had always been a large girl, but by now she was a ponderous woman. No matter how careful, she could not creep up stealthily on her prey with a view of pushing them over cliffs without being heard. Not that such an idea had much merit, for her targets never seemed to stand remotely near anything over which they could be conveniently pushed. The same could be said of trying to suffocate them, she just wasn't quiet enough or quick enough on her feet to provide her with the element of surprise so necessary to her line of work. George, the market man, was the first to become disgruntled and passed on a message for Questy via a coarse-mouthed apprentice. If that bloody Shayla doesn't get her friggin' finger out, I'll do the fucking job myself. Which is exactly what he did. Indeed, much to his astonishment, George enjoyed the physical contact, the challenge, and ultimately the success of such an action, so much so that he promptly gave up the t-shirt business to become a hired assassin himself. Unfortunately for Questy, George also demonstrated his business acumen by ruthlessly undercutting the standard fee. More worrisome was that he also expected his 20% deposit returned, Bloody quick smart, or else. 
Hoping for a sympathetic response, Questy asked the messenger to politely communicate back that a refund was quite impossible at the time. Tell him I'm ever so sorry, but I'm a bit short this week. If he could be patient, I'd be glad to pay off a few dollars a week from my dole money. But George was not a patient man. Keen to gain more experience in his new endeavours, he indicated his next contract would be on his erstwhile contractee, which complicated Questia's life enormously. It was at this point, with two clients still on her book and a need for rapid remuneration, that Questy almost gave up her resolve to be a professional killer. However, one day... Disillusioned with the television, midday movie, the soaps and the problems of oversexed American teenagers, she sat down and really put some thought to her situation. It would not be until Sesame Street during children's hour that she got her inspiration to kill the two remaining birds with the one stone. The scheme was clever and simple. The idea was that the would-be merry widow, husband Mr. Jones, was encouraged to think himself being blackmailed by the 83-year-old mother of the preacher, Mrs. Gwendolyn Smith. Impossible? Ridiculous? Upper pig's rectum, you may declare? Well, maybe. But it worked. It happened this way. With the eager assistance of Mrs. Clyde Forbes-Jones, Questy wrote and sent off a number of anonymous notes to Mr. Jones. They suggested the anonymous writer knew that Mr. Jones' wealth had not been acquired honestly. A few shady deals down at the racetrack were mentioned. Clearly, if money was not paid immediately to the writer, the police would be informed. The sum requested was so exorbitant that the bookie decided to take matters into his own hands rather than pay. This was no great difficulty as the blackmailer had apparently filled in the return to sender portion on the back of the envelope. Though in fact the address was that of the preacher's mother. The businessman checked out the address and was delighted, although a little perplexed, to find that it was the residence of a very old lady. As she did not seem too formidable an opponent to the scrawny Mr. Jones, he set about exterminating this aged irritant forthwith. However, knowing from experience that you should never judge an outsider from a thoroughbred and remembering his mother's bedside stories such as arsenic and old lace, the would-be politician was diligent in his preparations. So the next moonless night, armed with something heavy, the blackmailee stealthily made his way to what he thought was the blackmailer's house. In the meantime... As part of the devious plan, Questy advised the preacher to warn his mother of the growing number of sex-craved men about in the neighborhood. Her affectionate son told the alarmed old lady that her only defense against a fate even worse than her impending death was to secrete a firearm under her pillow and to shoot any intruder on sight. Indeed, with this intention in mind, the venerable gentleman provided his mother with a suitable firearm. 
suitable insofar as it had a faulty mechanism that would result in an unusually powerful kickback action on discharge. So much so that it would render enough power to give the old lady an almighty fright. With this regard, the minister, mindful of his frail mother's health, made sure a decanter of whiskey was standing on the bedside table nearby, a decanter that was also laced with a few extra sleeping pills for extra comfort, and though unlikely, improbable, and just plain daft, the plan worked brilliantly, as was reported next day in the popular press. Double fatality as aged pensioner kills assassin, then is overcome by exhaustion. Naturally, the police were at first mystified as to why the respected Mr. Jones was found dead in the old lady's bedroom. After all, bashing up old ladies was hardly an electoral winner. But further investigations, built upon cryptic anonymous information, led them to believe the horrendous crime resulted from a long-term deviant behaviour. This grass information was confirmed when the grieving widow felt it obligatory to also breach loyalty to her dearly departed by unburdening herself to the media of his strange sexual oddities. In between sobs into lace handkerchiefs, the distraught lady admitted that her husband had insatiable carnal urges, Sergeant, strange, unwholesome peccadilloes for intimidating and accosting elderly women in their homes. Such admissions validated the anonymous telephone calls received by the police at that time, so it became an open and shut case. Although technically still a virgin assassin, Questy now felt satisfied with the developmental progress of her career and immediately set off to claim her outstanding fees. Only then did she discover that not only is there no honour amongst thieves, but apparently little honour in the stalwarts of community-minded citizens or potential politicians' wives either. Although both her clients were delighted at being minus, a mother and a husband respectively, when attempting reimbursement, Questy found that now they were heirs to reasonable fortunes, both parties had decided on spontaneous, although it must be emphasised, separate vacations. So although certainly far more knowledgeable about the pitfalls of her chosen profession, once again Questy was without prospect of improving her financial status. The young woman walked home that night a forlorn and dejected figure which is when fate stepped in in one of its mysterious ways. As good luck would have it, she stepped out onto a well-lit pedestrian crossing and got hit by a speeding Mercedes. (laughs) Yes, good luck. It was indeed a fortuitous moment, for this apparent tragedy set the course for a series of unusual events. First, the driver of the limousine was a well-known media celebrity known by his adoring fans as Uncle Ned and command of a popular children's television show which came on regularly after Sesame Street. His companion was an equally famous lady who had recently married the producer of the same show. Both were vaguely aware they were 
unlikely inebriated at the time of the accident and had thoughts on their mind other than safety issues, as neither wanted the inconvenience of court cases or the possible publicity that would be associated with it, they were overly solicitous with Questy and eager she be given excellent care and compensation. And here they were also to have good luck. It so happened the accident had occurred just outside the convent of the Sacred Divinity, to which was attached a hospital, efficiently administered by the Sisters of Divine Mercy. This was a dedicated ministry which was lacking in only one thing, young, strong staff members who could undertake some of the onerous chores otherwise mitigated by the nuns themselves. It would be true to say that whenever possible these good ladies also enjoyed children's hour from time to time and instantly recognised not only Uncle Ned, but the delicacy of his situation. Mother Superior took it upon herself to speak on behalf of the sisters. "'Tis true that the poor unfortunate girl is not seriously in danger of losing life or limb, but she has suffered multiple contusions and fractures, all of which are aggravated by the poor darling's rather lavish endowments,' she said, apparently inflicted with a slight eye impediment that necessitated her turning her head to one side. Uncle Ned quickly indicated his understanding of this observation. Oh, of course, yes, and uh, uh, as I see it, the patient will need good care and rest, so, uh, well, it may be best not to let this little skirmish become public knowledge, sister. So, so look, I'd be grateful, well, enormously grateful, if she were given every comfort and allowed to, uh, well, quietly recover. Mother Superior nodded her head. Ah, then you would be agreeable for us to employ extra staff for security, which may be expensive, she added, the eye infliction gaining momentum. Oh, whatever you think is uh, is necessary, yes, and, and, and appropriate, concurred the unhappy driver. Mother Superior took a great deal of time and care in listing the food and drink appropriate for convalescence, ensuring that medicated brandy featured prominently on the list. When complete, it did appear to total up to quite a considerable sum. And so it was that Questy thrived under the aegis of the Catholic Church and the care of the Sisters of Divinity, all of whom, in turn, thrived by the constant vigilance of her benefactors. As her bruises healed, consultants were brought in to minister to her needs. Nutritionists drew up special diets, resulting in weight loss and improved skin tone. An optician suggested the heavy-duty spectacles be replaced by contact lenses, and a physiotherapist supervised exercise classes to streamline movement and coordination. And with all the expertise and attentive mentors, lo and behold, a miracle of nature occurred. Within a few weeks, the young woman began to wriggle free from her clumsy pupae form into a graceful woman of stature and agility. Eliza Doolittle herself could not have transformed more satisfactorily or superbly. So much so that having witnessed the creation of their own fair lady, when the visiting physician, Dr. Sean Kelly, deemed her 
recovered, the staff were distraught at the prospect of her leaving. It would appear the young enamoured doctor was of a similar opinion, for he made such a comment to the mother superior one day after his final visit to the patient. You know, mother, even though she's now half her original size, she's a fine, strapping figure of a woman. I'm of the opinion she would be a great asset to the hospital if you could find a suitable position. Strangely, Mother Superior had been of a similar opinion, and so it was that Questy was offered employment at the Convent of the Sacred Divinity. True, the job offered as personal care assistance was a shitty one, but it now seemed to the young girl, who had spent her life feeling unloved and abandoned, that both the Blessed Virgin and St. Lucifer were keeping a bipartite watchful eye on her. You see, although the job offered was indeed, yes, a shitty one, it did offer distinct possibilities for a profitable sideline. For although the hospital catered for people with all ailments, some of them suffered from nothing more than the terminal illness so assiduously maligned by the preacher of his mother, that is, chronic old age. And it was here that Questy found her forte. You see, she often found herself in the company of relatives who, like her previous client, had only the best intention for their loved ones. She listened attentively to their platitudes. The poor dear, she is miserable confined to the bed as she is. She'd be better off if she never gained consciousness. Or, he's had a productive, good life. I'm sure he's more than ready to go to his maker. What a shame he can't just drift off into his sleep. Innocent remarks in themselves, perhaps. But when accompanied by winks, dark looks and coughs, they could well take on sinister overtones. Which brings us to the present, where Questy is in a safe, secure, although admittedly poorly paid job. However, she is beginning to realise there are unlimited extracurricular opportunities and takes interest in the hazards of artificial fibre fills, especially those used in pillows. She is currently studying pharmaceuticals with special interest in dosage and critical dosage. After all, just one or two pills too many can have disastrous effects on fragile bodies. Altogether, it would seem there is little more to say about Questy at this point. We have seen her develop from an ugly duckling with no prospects to a swan, admired by colleagues and clients alike. Indeed, she is a bird of rare plumage, who is highly satisfied in finally achieving a job commensurate with her abilities. You have been listening to Two Birds, One Stone, written and narrated by Brianda Cross. For more stories, please go to fastfictionpodcasts.com. Thank you.